It was a sort of ferocious, quiet beauty, the sort that wouldn't let you admire it, the sort of beauty that just always hurt. Chapter 51, page 364, The Dream Thieves. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And And we're we're the the Raven Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle podcast. Where we talk about four dysfunctional teenagers and at least two dysfunctional adults with transformative journeys leading to action. Onward and upward. Excelsior! (laughs) Yes. (laughs) This is episode 28, and we are covering chapters 50 through 53 of The Dream Thieves. We will also be taking a deep dive on rites of passage. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven Cycle as a cycle. This means we will be spoilerific. You probably want to have read the books before listening. Mm -hmm. We'll be using pronunciations from the audiobooks, and page numbers will be referenced from the paperback editions. And a disclaimer from me. Say with me, folks. This This podcast podcast has has a Team Plus rating. rating. There will be canned and levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, but hopefully no gray man violence. Nope. All right, let's get on to the episode. Let's do it. Announcements on the top. It's getting near the end of the book, everyone. And I'm sure Shannon is really excited about that. (laughs) I am, but not like... I'm also going to be kind of sad to leave it. Our last episode of season two will be coming out right around our two-year anniversary. Yay! So we'd like to do a small, informal, season wrap-up, two-year anniversary celebration episode. Yay! That would be separate from the last episode of season two. (laughs) And we'll talk about our feelings on the Dream Thieves, on season two, and the last two years of the podcast as a whole. So, if you have any questions or comments or favorite moments, we'd love to hear from you. We would indeed. Okay, getting into it. Chapter 50 is an Adam POV. Adam takes a deep dive into his subconscious, Caveswater, and finds out what it is that Caveswater needs. He also finds some balance in himself and begins to realize his role as Caveswater's magician. Also, there's pie. (laughs) There is indeed pie. So, Persephone gave him pie. Adam, that is. Pie is Persephone's answer to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Also, pecan pie is such a southern thing. Mm -hmm. I like it, but it's my partner's absolute favorite. I love pecan pie. (laughs) Pumpkin's my favorite pie. Oh, pumpkin. I love pumpkin. I will trade you. (laughs) I'm an October baby, okay? Yeah, but... uh... (laughs) Pumpkin spice is not my favorite flavor. Pumpkin spice doesn't taste like pumpkin. <laughs> it's the spices you put in pumpkin pie. I know, but I, <laughs> I think I have a visceral yucky reaction to the thought of it. If they just called it chai spice, I'd be fine with it. All right. Anyway. Taking it wasn't presented as an option. Another gift. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Maura is talking to Persephone and says, I guess you know best. And Persephone responds, sometimes. Mm -hmm. And she sometimes feels like a cross between Adam and Noah in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Her insights feel like half Adam's supernatural perception and half Noah's like narrator style knowledge of the Mm -hmm. plot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then Persephone says, "Uh, Blue can come with you, but it will be very personal talking to Adam. Mm -hmm. Adam hadn't realized that Blue was there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I know there are good reasons for him not to realize this but i also really feel like this is a good summation of why it's good that they broke up 
Hmm. Like, she's not who he turns to when things get wild, nor vice versa. Mm-hmm. Adam finds a scuff on his hand, and he worried slightly at the skin at the edges. He's peeling himself apart, literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Blue asks what's happening, and Mora replies, she's, Persephone, is balancing his insides with his outsides, making peace with Cabeswater. Yes? Persephone says that that's close enough. Mm-hmm. Persephone apparently has a deeper knowledge of this and that she can't explain, even to the people she is basically one entity with. Mm-hmm. And I am so sad we will never know more of her story. Me too. Blue said, I'll come with if you want me to. She is still very much his friend and very much cares about him. Yeah, it surprises me that Blue does say this, because I don't think I would be as generous. <laughs> <laughs> And this is yet another moment of Adam voicing his opinion that he only has himself. And I'm so glad that he eventually realizes that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. In a way, it had always been that. Sometimes the scenery changed. Sometimes the weather was better. He's psyching himself up, saying that it's just the reading room. He knew it was not the truth, but it was shaped like the truth. But he realizes later that he's walked into a metaphorically, if not physically, larger space. Right. Persephone tells Adam to bring his pie. What is up with her and pie? I don't know. Here she seems to be using the pie as a tool for grounding. He could also quite honestly have forgotten to eat and needs a rush of sugar in order to focus long enough to get through the ritual. That's true. And Persephone tells Adam to take a bite of pie. And Adam took a bite of pie. The world focused just a little bit. This feels mystical, but could also be partly just the fact that physical things and activities like eating can be really grounding. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My note was above yours, but we are on the same page. Uh (laughs) With the doors shut, the room smelled like roses after dark and a match just blown out. It's an interesting description. Pleasant, but spooky. Mm Mm-hmm. Even though Adam knew full well the tiny dimensions of the room, it felt massive now, like an underground cavern. Like the cavern where the demon is? Mm-hmm. The cavern where the bones are, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the same cavern... System. System, right. He starts there, and then he travels to the mirror lake. Like in the cave with Blue and Blue Lily Lily Blue, Blue found herself in a strange, low-ceilinged cavern of indeterminate space. Light from behind illuminated the ground as it sloped away from her and to a jagged floored pit, which is chapter 48. And interestingly, I would say that this is Blue's hero's journey, but we have a whole nother book to get there. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Adam thought, I could stop now, but he really shouldn't, though mm-hmm. I, I would be totally scared too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he thinks, but it was only the reading room. This was only a room that should have been a dining room. Nothing was going to change in here. Adam knew that none of these things were true, but it was easier to pretend that they were. Mm-hmm. Persephone selected a frame from the wall. Ha! Evidence of my hunch about what decoration was because of whom was correct. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was a photograph of a standing stone in a ragged field. Not Steve Martin? That's... (laughs) That's Morris! Okay. (laughs) It's like, I love standing stones. They always consider places of power and are often said to mark light lines. Mm -hmm. The reflection off the glass. It was suddenly a rectangle pool or mirror. Again, blue, lily, lily, blue, chapter 48. No, that was not the floor. That was the ceiling reflected. She was looking at a vast, still lake. The water mirrored the spiked ceiling perfectly, hiding the true depth of the dead lake. There was something dead and uncomfortable. 
comforting about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are scrying, mm-hmm. and somehow it feels both totally different from and eerily similar to Neve's scrying mm-hmm. back in the last book. We took a deep dive on scrying in episode six, Midnight Magic, where we talked about the different methods, including water, fire, and mirror scrying mm-hmm. there. The candles are twirling and spinning in the reflection, not quite like the candlelight in reality. His stomach surged. That feeling like dropping on a roller coaster. Do you ever get that? Yeah, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And people can roll their eyes all they want, but I get it from certain stones and plants and sometimes like pre-owned objects like at a thrift mm-hmm. store or someone giving me something. Mm, it's mainly places for me. Places do that for huh. me. Persephone says Adam must feel how out of balance he is. Adam thinks it was too obvious to agree to. He has known that something was wrong for a while. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that it's noted over and over that Persephone does not sit down at the table. I wonder if she's attempting to keep her energy separate from the ritual. She might be. Mm -hmm. Persephone describes scrying as, It's a way of looking at other places. Places that are too far away to see, or places that only sort of exist, or places that don't want to be seen. Flashes of Neve following Gansey's spirit and him disappearing into a dark place on the corpse road. Yeah. I never really think of scrying as looking at other places. I always feel it's looking at other times. Mm-hmm. But with these psychics, maybe that's the same thing. <laughs> Time is circular, yeah. chicken. <laughs> Adam asks where they will be looking. Persephone replies, someplace far away, inside you. Poor Adam, he just doesn't feel like he can let anyone in. Mm-hmm. To me, it's very much that classic, if you gaze long into an abyss, the abyss also gazes into you. That's true. It's the opposite of safe, Persephone said. In fact, you better have another bite of pie. <laughs> Adam obediently takes another bite of pie and then asks what will happen if he doesn't do this. Persephone replies that things will only get worse. Mm -hmm. But if I do it, Adam started, and then stopped because the truth bit and burrowed and fit inside him, I'll be changed forever? I'm like, you know the answer to that. Yeah, he instantly recognizes it as truth Mm -hmm. as he's saying it. Persephone tilts her head sympathetically and tells Adam what he already knows. You've already changed yourself. When you made the sacrifice, this is just the end part of that. Mm -hmm. Then there's no point in not doing it. And it's like, yeah, he knew that all along. Right. Persephone leaned forward, but she still didn't sit down. Mm -hmm. And she tells him, you have to stop giving things away. You didn't sacrifice your mind. And this is a refrain for a while after this. Right. In the Raven King scene where Adam is tied up in the backseat of the car, Persephone reminds him that he gave his hands to Caveswater, not the demon. Mm. She says, you made your deal with Caveswater, not with a demon. Even though they look the same and feel the same, they are not the same. Mm-hmm. Page 406. And I think that is close to this. Stop giving things away. Right. Persephone reproaches Adam saying that he needs to mean it. Adam snaps back that he did mean it. Anger rushing up sudden and singing and pure. It was an undying enemy. Yet with just a look from Persephone, his fury shriveled. Mm -hmm. You promised to be Caveswater's hands and eyes, but have you been listening to what it's asked you for? It hasn't said anything. Persephone's expression was knowing. Mm -hmm. Of course it had. She's like, really, Adam? Really? Mm -hmm. For what it's worth, much like Ronan, Adam didn't have someone to teach him this throughout his life. Right. It must be really tough to accept for a scientifically minded dude. Oh, yeah, I can totally see that. Mm -hmm. All at once, he knew that was the cause of the apparitions and half-visions. 
Cabeswater had been trying to get his attention any way it could. It's like, you knew this, Adam. You spent the whole weekend saying, not here, not now. Mm-hmm. All of this noise, this sound, this chaos inside him. The reflection between Adam and Cabeswater. He may not have known it was Cabeswater consciously because he has spent so much of his time repressing his own emotions. Mm-hmm. I couldn't understand. And not being able to understand really bothers Adam. Mm-hmm. It's out of balance, too, Persephone said. But that's a different ritual for another problem. And I will always want to know how Persephone knows so much about what's going on here and how to fix it. The realm of fan fiction, my friend. (laughs) Scrying is never safe. You never know who you will meet. And this line is so creepy to me. Mm -hmm. Even worse, you know exactly who you will meet. Yourself. Mm -hmm. Adam asks if Persephone will help if something goes wrong. Adam is asking for assistance. That alone shows how rattled he is. Uh But then he realizes that the only help would have been from Blue. Mm -hmm. Beware of anyone promising you help now, Persephone said. Inside yourself, it's only you who can help you. But Adam's good at that. That's kind of how he wants it most Mm -hmm. times. It starts with, they began. Adam is looking at the reflection of the candles in the glass. The true candles are thin and high, but the candles in the mirror-like surface are twisted and circuitous. Then a drop falls from the ceiling, and instead of splashing on the surface, it goes straight through. Here we already have the symbolism of fire and water, and the drop showing the path to the underworld. Again, in blue, lily, lily, blue, once again she saw the golden reflection of the ceiling above, then the black of the water, and then her own face, her eyes hollowed out and strange. Just that kind of mm-hmm. otherworldliness of the mirror. Yeah. The scene changes when the drop of water splashes into a tumbler, and Adam is thrust into a scene from his past. His father hit him. You never know who you'll meet. Mm-hmm. He was the boy, the blow, the counter, the flaring anger that drove it all. Mm-hmm. He <sighs> thinks this lived in him. Mm-hmm. This punch, the first time his father had ever hit him, was always being thrown somewhere in his head. Mm-hmm. Poor kid. It's not the only thing that lives in him, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Caves water, Adam thought. He was released from the punch. It really is a symbiotic relationship. Caveswater helps Adam, too. Mm-hmm. Adam is opening himself up to Caveswater's help. Mm-hmm. The water glass falls to the floor, and the original drop of water slides out and falls again, this time dropping into the pool in front of the nightmare tree. Blackness crept between the trees, lush and dark and living. The unmaking? I think maybe. Mm-hmm. Was he really here, or was it a dream? Did it make a difference to Caveswater? I don't think it makes a difference. No. Adam observes the pool at his feet, the brook trout circling, the massive old oak with a rotted cavern inside it, big enough to admit a person. He thinks about his vision of Gansey dying, and then... The spirits he has been seeing show up, each trying to tell him something in the not-Latin dream language. And I was wondering, like, do you think maybe they're Chirilinthe? I am super unsure. I was wondering if they were spirits trapped on the spirit road or others. It could be that too. Yeah, other sacrifices like Noah, some sort of manifest nightmares. Mm-hmm. The spirits that he describes are wearing things like an old-fashioned dress and a bowler hat. So I thought that they were possibly from the past in some way. That's true. The language is close to Latin, and I have tried to run it through some translators. My theory is still that in the world of the Raven Cycle, the language of the Tyrialente is proto-Latin, i.e. the language that Latin is derived from. That makes a lot of sense. 
Adam is at a loss for what to do and how to understand them. And he hears a small voice at his elbow, an offer of help. Mm-hmm. The being offering to help looks like a miniature Persephone, but twisted. Mountainous hair, spun like cotton candy, narrow face, black eyes. She takes his hand, and her hand is cold and damp. I get a sense of both a twisted Persephone and a twisted opal. Like, is this his psychopomp? Twisted because he and Caveswater are so off balance? I don't know. I also get the Persephone, opal, psychopomp vibe, but I thought possibly it was a piece of Persephone. If she's gone through a ritual similar to this, perhaps she's made a sacrifice and a part of herself is in this dream space. That makes sense. Luckily, Adam remembers Persephone's instructions and tells the figure, no, I can only help myself. Mm-hmm. She tipped her head back, angry. You're already dead here. This book gets so flippin' horror movie-esque. I know, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> she scratches his hand and three sharp lines of blood well up. He could taste it. Ugh, blech. <laughs> yeah. It was like a bad dream. Duh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Adam also remembers Persephone's other bit of advice and realizes he can be in control here if he chooses to be. Mm -hmm. Adam shook himself free. He wasn't going to give his mind away. Caveswater, he said out loud. Tell me what you need. What do you want, Adam? What do you need, Adam? Mm -hmm. He reaches into the forest pool and scoops out the single drop of water he'd followed into the vision. It tipped back and forth in his palm, rolling along his lifeline. The magician's hands, all of the tools are within you. Mm -hmm. On the other side of this moment, he knew there was something that would separate him from the others forever. Mm -hmm. How much he didn't know, but he would have been somewhere they hadn't. He would be something they weren't. He already was. It seems like he always has been. How much of his otherworldly presence, his alien looks, how much are those an outward representation of the inner uncanny? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. And then he was in the drop of water. He is accepted and merged with his guide into the metaphorical underworld. He is plunged into his something more. Mm -hmm. He was caves water and he was the dreaming tree and he was every oak with roots digging through rocks looking for energy and hope. He felt the suck and pulse of the ley line through him. He could remember every other name for it now and they all seemed more fitting. Fairy roads, spirit paths, song lines, the old tracks, dragon lines, dream paths, the corpse road. And our deep dive on ley lines was episode three, and we took quite a bit of time to talk about the history behind the names of the spirit roads or fairy paths. Mm -hmm. The energy flickered and sputtered through him, less like electricity and more like remembering a secret. A secret. The oldness of Caveswater, the strangeness. Mm Mm-hmm. There was something true and inhuman at its core. It had been there so many centuries before him, and it would be there so many centuries after. In the relative scheme of things, Adam Parrish was irrelevant. I kind of feel this way when I look at the ocean, or sometimes the stars. Mm-hmm. He was such a small thing, just a whirl in the fingerprint of a massive being. And then I didn't agree to give my thoughts away. He reiterates that he will be Caveswater's hands and eyes, but he wouldn't be Caveswater. He would be Adam Parrish. He chooses to be himself, his true, deep self, and it breaks the vision. Mm-hmm. He's back in the reading room, and the drop of water is splashed over the framed photograph. Mm-hmm. Across from him, Persephone dabbed three bloody scratches on her wrist. Her sleeve had been ripped through. I wonder, was she in there with him, or did he do that to her? 
I wondered if that entity, maybe that part of her, worked through him and the two of them were acting out his vision. Maybe. He didn't know how he'd thought before that Persephone's eyes were black. Every color combined to make black. He's seeing things differently. Mm -hmm. His senses are sharpened and heightened. Mm -hmm. She says, they won't understand. They didn't when I came back. I want to know. I know. Me too. (laughs) Adam asks if he's different. You were different before, but now they won't be able to stop noticing. They already couldn't. Mm -hmm. From Ronan in the epilogue, Adam was different since making the bargain with Caveswater. Stronger, stranger, farther away. Mm -hmm. Page 435. Persephone hands Adam her tarot cards and tells him to knock on them three times. They like that. Then shuffle them and hold them to your heart. My cards are not this finicky, but then again, this is someone else using her deck. Yeah, I just breathe on mine. (laughs) (laughs) When he held it to his chest, the cards felt warm like a living creature. They hadn't felt like that before, awakening that magical side of him. He asks the cards the question, what now? Persephone first tells Adam to put down four cards, which in Japanese culture is a kind of bad number because the word for the number four sounds like the word for death, Mm -hmm. and then changes her mind and says three, past, present, and future. Honestly, I figured that she sees the last card, but wants him to pull it of his own volition. Mm -hmm. Because he ends up taking four cards out total. Right. Admittedly, a three-card past, present, future spread is probably the easiest spread of all, and definitely my basic go-to. Mine too. (laughs) The art on Persephone's deck was dark, smudgy, barely visible in this dim light. The figures on them seemed to move. And this doesn't feel at all like how I remember her deck being described. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember having, like, a childlike whimsy, mm-hmm. but super creepy. Yeah. I went back and looked since you put that in there, and it mm-hmm. says, Even the cards themselves seemed more otherworldly. Persephone's cards were slightly larger than Mora's and Kala's, and the art on them was curious. Spidery lines and smudgy backgrounds suggested the figures on each card. Maybe I was thinking, like, the cards were bigger and the sp- Spidery lines and spudgy backgrounds made me think more like childlike drawing rather than Mm. creepy. Yeah, I always pictured creepy personally, but I mean, not creepy, creepy, but Mm -hmm. there's actually a found a deck that I thought would be the deck or similar deck to what Persephone has. I'd have to look for it, but it was very sketched with just like ink washes, basically. Oh, wow. Cool. So I'll have to see if I can find that again. So the cards that Adam turns over, the first one is for past. It's the tower. Yep, that's totally indicative of what's been going on. Mm-hmm. Adam's had several major life catastrophes in the past few months. Mm-hmm. The present, the hangman, again, yep, mm-hmm. pretty accurate. Adam is literally on a search for wisdom at this very moment. Right. And the future, Nine of Swords, Anxiety, Hopelessness, and Nightmares. This sounds fitting, but not something you want to see in this situation. Not in the future, definitely Mm -hmm. not. I did want to go through the descriptions in the Raven Prophecy deck. Okay, perfect. The Tower, interestingly, was also a card that Welk had pulled. Mm -hmm. And the key words here are betrayal, dissolution, and revelation. Mm Mm-hmm. Here, Maggie describes it as the tower is something that you've come to rely on, a truth that you believe utterly, or a way of life that you have grown accustomed to. And in this card, it is entirely destroyed in a roaring, starving fire, leaving a blackened and unfamiliar territory on the other side of it. Mm. And I think that that's also applicable to where Adam is. Yep. Then the next one is the hanged man. The keywords for this are sacrifice, mm-hmm. wisdom, and self-awareness. 
And Maggie says the hangman is all about sacrifice, not a martyr's sacrifice, but a scholar's sacrifice. He goes not only willingly, but pleasantly towards his hanging, certain that the time spent in agony will be worth it. And in the art, it's an upside down raven. Oh, wow. (laughs) And then the last one there is the Nine of Swords. Mm -hmm. Keywords, depression, introversion, and fear. This Mm -hmm. is in his future place. This card is perhaps the most fearful in the deck, which is impressive because when it appears, there may in fact be absolutely nothing to be afraid of. Of course, there might be everything to be afraid of too, (laughs) but this card isn't particularly concerned with that. The Nine of Swords looks at the weather conditions inside you, not outside your window, and the report is 100% rain with a chance of hail or the end of the world. I want to show you the art on this one as well. On the swords in Maggie's deck, their hands. And what you've got there is a hand mirrored by a skeletal hand, oh, which wow. is that fear of death in a mirror, which mm-hmm. I thought was also very applicable. That is, that to is what really cool. Adam is going through right now. Okay, so Adam keys in on the Nine of Swords and says it looks like how he will feel if his vision from the Dreaming Tree comes true. And he is a natural at tarot. He is naturally reading from intuition, not study. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Adam looks up at Persephone and he's certain that she's seeing the same thing he is. The room stretched out around them black and limitless. A cave or an old forest or a flat mirror black lake. All of these are places in blue, lily, lily blue Mm -hmm. in his future. Adam refuses to take this lying down. Maybe this is the future, but it's not the end. Persephone asks if he's sure, but she knows. There was a note in her voice that hadn't been there before. Hope? Pride? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm pulling another card. He hesitated, waiting for her to tell him it wasn't allowed, but she just waited. Go ahead, Adam. Take control. Have your moment. Mm -hmm. This is that last tumbler to fall when the key is being turned in the door lock. Mm -hmm. Adam draws his card, and it is his card, the magician. A robed figure stood before a coin, a cup. In the audiobook, it's a goblet. Same thing. (laughs) Yes, but I thought it was interesting that she probably turned it back into cup Mm -hmm. to reference blue. Mm. A sword, a wand, all of the symbols of the tarot suits, understanding prickled and then evaded him. Mm -hmm. And also looking at the magician in the Raven's Prophecy deck, the keywords are ability, versatility, control, and connections. Mm -hmm. The magician is no illusionist. He's the real deal. I've always loved the magician card as he is sort of an unsinkable ship. You can't keep someone down if they are always capable of building themselves back up again. The art on the card depicts a hand tattooed with all of the symbols of the tarot deck. And this is because the magician has skill in all of the suits. The infinity symbol illustrates how his command over all of these suits comes from something outside him. If you believe in something more, Mm -hmm. this is the something more department. Right. And I have goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, she totally does. (laughs) And it's 77 degrees in here, so it's not because I'm cold. (laughs) It is not cold in here. No. All right. Persephone let out a long, long breath and began to laugh. It was a relieved laugh that sounded as if she'd been running. Adam, she said, finish your pie. Mm-hmm. I love these two so much. Yes, me too. And there's an amazingly hilarious post that basically says, imagine absolutely everything is exactly the same in the Raven cycle, except that Adam is pulling cards from the Lisa Frank tarot deck. <laughs> 
There's a Lisa Frank tarot deck? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> ShannonAmazon.com, Lisa Frank tarot. Yes. I, I have I have my Hello Kitty tarot. It's just like the tarot that I always use. Mm-hmm. It is the one that works best for me. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we're going to put the deep dive in here. Okay. So our deep dive this time is on rites of passage. And Mm -hmm. I did want to make a note up front. We'll be talking about a broad phenomenon that takes place across virtually all of human history and cultures. Mm -hmm. And like with so many of our deep dives, it's not actually very deep. We are barely (laughs) scratching the surface Mm -hmm. of this topic. So of course, we'll have links in our show notes of the articles that we got our information from, but expect that we're not going to be able to get too deep into any particular culture or rite of passage. Right. And I also will say that I did look for specific own voices, stories of rites of passage, and I ended up deciding that it just wasn't my place to give those stories. But I will also put links to those in the show notes if people want to read those and explore the topic further. Mm -hmm. Good call. Yeah. So to define it, rites of passage, they are ceremonies that mark important and transitional periods in a person's life, such as birth, puberty, marriage, having children, and death. Rites of passage usually involve ritual activities and teachings designed to strip individuals of their original roles and prepare them for new roles. The traditional American wedding ceremony is such a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. In many societies, some of the most complex rites of passage occur at puberty. Mm -hmm. The concept was first widely proposed by the Belgian scholar Arnold van Gennep and became an important part of the analytical framework of anthropology. in 1960, distinguished three kinds of rites of passage, rites of separation, transition rites, and rites of incorporation or aggregation. Mm-hmm. He noted that rites of separation often take prominence in funeral ceremonies, that transition rites may be important in pregnancy, betrothal, or initiation, and that rites of incorporation are often highly developed in marriage ceremonies. Right. However, it is more usual to think of these three as elements in a single rite, which includes each form, separation, transition, incorporation, as a separate phase. Right. The key concept here is that of liminality, which is from the Latin lemon, lemon, which means threshold. Mm-hmm. Van Gennep saw transition rights as liminal, while rights of separation are preliminal and rights of incorporation are post-liminal. Mm-hmm. During the liminal state, one's sense of identity dissolves to some extent as it is in itself a period of transition. Right. And a quote from the New World Encyclopedia, Victor Turner and Mary Douglas developed further theories on rites of passage in the 1960s. Turner coined the term liminoid to refer to experiences that have characteristics of liminal experiences, but are individualized and do not involve a resolution of a personal crisis. Mm -hmm. A graduation ceremony might be regarded as liminal, while a rock concert might be understood to be liminoid. Okay. It affected you deeply and 
personally, but it wasn't a societal effect. Right. The liminal is part of society, a social or religious ritual, while the liminoid is a break from society. Mm -hmm. Turner stated that liminal experiences are rare and diminished in industrial societies and are often replaced by liminoid experiences. And to give people some context, some lists of examples of historical and modern, mostly modern actually, rites of passage. You have birth, you have baptisms, baby showers, religious circumcision, and hair shaving in some religious traditions. Mm -hmm. In education and career, you have the first day of school, you have high school or university graduation, Mm -hmm. you have a white coat ceremony in the medical professions, you have black belts in martial arts, and, you know, the end of your career in retirement. Mm -hmm. Some coming of age, confirmation, first communion, bar bat mitzvah, Mm-hmm. First Menarch, loss of virginity, if that is something mm-hmm. that is, there's some importance put on, an 18th or a 21st birthday, and I know you go into a lot of right. birthday ceremonies. Coming out can be a significant rite of passage for a member of the gender and sexual minority communities. Mm-hmm. And then family types of rites of passages could be engagements and marriages or housewarmings. Mm-hmm. And then you have death, which would be embalming, funereal rites, wakes, etc. Right. And one of the most common modern rites of passage, so common it almost slipped my mind, Mm -hmm. is the celebration of birthdays. Mm -hmm. Especially the way that there are certain birthdays that are bigger deals than other birthdays. Mm -hmm. Like in American culture, 13, 16, 18, and 21 are all milestone birthdays. Right. 13, because our numbering system changes there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because of puberty and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And 16, 18, and 21, because those are times when we legally get more adult privileges. Right. In Spanish-speaking cultures, 15 is a birthday that marks the passage into adulthood specifically for girls. Mm-hmm. The day is generally marked by a big party called a quinceanera, though in some cultures, this term is used for the celebrant and not the party. Hmm. Just a quick side note. Mm-hmm. My name should be Nieves because I've turned 15 and I should have dropped the diminutive Ita. That's why my grandmother's name is Nieves, but my mother stayed Nievita. Navita, and okay. so my name is Navita. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I did not At know that. At 15, I should have become Nieves. Huh. <laughs> Japan has a national coming-of-age day. It's held on the second Monday of January and celebrates everyone who has or will reach the age of majority, which is 20 there, mm-hmm. um, from the previous April 2nd to the coming April 1st. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a big national ceremony. Like, a, huh. It's actually kind of cool. I've had some friends who've, like, shown pictures from their younger siblings mm-hmm. going through it, and it's, it's really cool. And then Judaism has the practice of the bar or bat mitzvah when a child reaches 13, sometimes 12 for girls, depending on the congregation. Mm -hmm. They're considered responsible for their own actions, for following Jewish religious practices, and for participating fully in the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. And this is usually marked with the child being invited to lead parts of a religious service and or read from religious texts during service on a date close to their birthday. Mm -hmm. And all that is to say these rites of passage are extremely culturally specific. Right. But exist in some form or another in pretty much every culture that you can find. Right. A little bit on initiation and psychology So an initiation would be a specific type of a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. Historian of religion, Merkea, and I'm not sure, Marcia Iliad, wrote about initiation ritual in his book, Rites and Symbols of Initiation in 1958. Initiation rituals often involve the teaching of sacred history as well as a series of ordeals they have to go through. 
The ordeals often symbolize the death of the novice, marking the end of childhood, ignorance, and the profane, Mm -hmm. as well as the rebirth of the novice, marking their return to the group with another mode of being. Mm -hmm. Sort of a purification in a lot of ways. This death-rebirth ritual is also a representation of many cultures' creation myths, with death corresponding to a temporary return to primordial chaos. Mm -hmm. I think that's very close to what Adam's going through. Right, exactly. Out of this symbolic reenactment of the creation myth, a new individual is born. In almost every ancient culture, you will find the myth of the dying and rising God. Mm-hmm. Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, Quetzalcoatl, Osiris, Isis, Horus, Ra, Tammuz, Babylonian, Balder, Norse. Mm-hmm. Help me with this one. Izanami. Izanami, Japanese. Dionysus, Adonis, Persephone. Mm-hmm. All died and were reborn. James Fraser, a famous social anthropologist, stated in his work, The Golden Bough, in 1890, that these death-rebirth myths are echoes of agricultural cycles, the death of vegetation in the winter and its rebirth in the spring. Mm-hmm. With Persephone, that's... Yeah, that's literal. Yeah. <laughs> Swiss psychoanalyst Carl Jung argued that death and resurrection are archetypical, universal processes, which are part of the collective unconscious. Mm -hmm. For Jung, the archetypal processes of death and resurrection can be utilized in the path of psychological transformation and growth. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about rites of passage and Joseph Campbell's monomyth. Mm-hmm. Because if we're talking about rites of passage and stories and literature and movies, we should definitely mention the monomyth or mm-hmm. the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. This is an idea developed by a comparative mythology, comparative religions professor, Joseph Campbell, in his 1949 book, Hero with a Thousand Faces. Mm-hmm. The idea is that all mythology can basically be boiled down to one basic myth. The heroic narrative in which a heroic protagonist sets out and has transformative adventures and returns home. And this is actually a useful formula for comparing literary traditions across time and culture. Mm-hmm. And I've linked to a page where Orias at Berkeley provides resources to explore and compare three different works through the lens of the monomyth. Mm-hmm. Um, Mali's Sanjata, South Asia's Ramayana, and Japan's Yamato. Mm-hmm. So Campbell divided the hero's journey into 17 distinct parts. But we don't have have time to get into that much detail i would like to do it at some point yes it would be a lot of fun it's very applicable to the raven cycle in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways but yes but yeah that's a total deep dive all on its own all on its own (laughs) and also not every part is going to be present in every story that Mm -hmm. fits the form Mm -hmm. so we can basically view it as being in three big sections Mm -hmm. you've got the departure or separation Mm -hmm. and this is a section the hero or protagonist lives in the ordinary world and receives a call to go on an adventure. Mm-hmm. The hero is reluctant to follow the call, but is helped by a mentor figure. Right. And then there's the initiation, which is sometimes divided into descent and initiation. Mm-hmm. The initiation section begins with the hero then traversing the threshold to the unknown or special world, where he faces tasks or trials, either alone or with the assistance of helpers. The hero eventually reaches the innermost cave, mm-hmm. or the central crisis of his adventure, where he must undergo 
episode, The Ordeal, where he overcomes the main obstacle or enemy undergoing apotheosis and gaining his reward, a treasure or elixir. This is where Adam is. Yes, absolutely. And finally, there's the return. The hero must then return to the ordinary world with his reward. He may be pursued by the guardians of the special world, or he may be reluctant to return, and may be rescued or forced to return by intervention from the outside. Mm-hmm. In the return section, the hero again traverses the threshold between the worlds, returning to the ordinary world with the treasure or elixir he gained, which he may now use for the benefit of his fellow man. The hero himself is transformed by the adventure and gains wisdom or spiritual power over both worlds. Right. And this absolutely happens with Adam. Right. <laughs> There's a reason why we're doing this deep dive. <laughs> there are many, many examples to find everywhere that fit this narrative form. Mm-hmm. And the one that always comes to mind first for me is Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Because it fits it so perfectly. Mm-hmm. And the second is Star Wars, since it's the reason we see so many movies with the hero's journey narrative form. Mm-hmm. Because Campbell's idea became popularized in Hollywood after George Lucas credited Campbell's work as an influence for Star Wars. Right. Okay. <laughs> Alright, so, chapter 51 is a Blue point of view chapter. After her fight and breakup with Adam, Blue calls Gansey to take her somewhere. They get mushy and romantic at a scenic overlook and vow to never speak of it again. Mm-hmm. That goes real well. Yep. <laughs> Blue had indeed cut herself. After Adam had gone into the reading room, she'd experimentally opened the switchblade and it had obligingly attacked her. This starts out sounding so dramatic. It's like, oh, she cut herself. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then you realize that, no, she was just bored and pensive and, like, just as clumsy as she thought she was going to be. Right, Yeah. <laughs> She did not feel like Blue Sergeant Superhero or Blue Sergeant Desperado or Blue Sergeant Badass. Maybe she shouldn't have told the truth. The sucky thing about telling the truth is sometimes it feels ten times worse than telling a lie at first, but it's always the better call. Yeah, my thought was, maybe you should have told the truth before now? Mm -hmm. She shouldn't have lost her temper. She should have told him at the very beginning. She should have anything but how it happened. Ah, Blue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you should have done better. But mistakes are how we learn. Right. The important thing is that you are learning and trying to do better. Right. She asks herself, why couldn't I have fallen in love with him? Real talk, I've definitely had this feeling about people before, and it's painful on all sides. Mm -hmm. One can say that she was trying to buck fate, but honestly, sometimes people just don't work out. Right. He was sleeping now, thrown across the couch, lips parted in unselfconscious exhaustion. Mm -hmm. I don't know that Adam has slept in days. After all, his walk to the Pentagon was just a night or two ago. Mm -hmm. Persephone had informed Blue that she expected him to sleep for 16 to 18 hours with some light nausea or vomiting. What did I warn you about after we smudged your house? (laughs) Yeah, basically that. Yeah. (laughs) And what happened? Uh, we we both got sick. <laughs> yeah. I think about, like, yeah, you yeah. guys got pretty darn sick. <laughs> Every so often, Blue heard snatches of conversation. Should have done it sooner, but he needed to accept it. Both of these are true for the conversation he and Blue had as well. Mm-hmm. There may have been a time when Adam wouldn't have accepted it in the way that he did. Right. She looked at him again. He was handsome and he liked her. And if she hadn't told him the truth, she could have dated him like a normal girl and even kissed him without worrying about killing him. Ah, Blue. Yeah, come on, Blue. Adam deserves better than that. And you do too. Right. But she didn't want that. She wanted something more. 
I have a feeling she also knew a relationship built on a lie is not going to work. Yeah. She thinks just her and the pink switchblade. They were a good pair, both incapable of opening up without cutting someone. It me! <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Blue calls Gansey. When he answers, she thinks just his voice. Her heart tethered itself. These two, shaking my head. Yeah. Like Gansey calling her after the fight with Adam at the party. He pressed his eyes closed. Just the sound of her voice, the Henrietta lull to it, made him feel uneven and shattered. Page Mm. 287. Gansey comes to pick Blue up to take her somewhere, and when he pulls up, Blue thinks to herself, this was her favorite Gansey, this scholar Gansey, not a hint of Aglimby about him. There was something terrible about the way this Gansey made her feel at the moment, though. Again, these two. Right. Blue has a favorite Gansey. Ronan has a favorite, too. Does Adam have a favorite Gansey? I don't know. I don't think we ever see it specifically. Mm -mm. I don't think so. Not that (laughs) I can think of. When she got in, he asks, What happened, Jane? Adam and I fought, she said. I told him. I don't want to talk about it. Echoes of we fought from earlier. And Gansey called her after his fight with Adam, too. Mm Mm-hmm. And Gansey asks, do you want to talk at all? This is such a good question. It's a very thoughtful question. It's a question I wish I remembered to ask people more often. Mm -hmm. But it really throws the way Gansey treats Adam into very stark relief. Right. Because if if it was Adam, he would be pushing right now. Blue is basically like, no, just drive. Mm -hmm. And Gansey complies and just drives. Telling Blue all about everything that happened over the weekend. Basically, like, three quarters of the book. Right. (laughs) Blue asking this of Gansey is very like Gansey's. Do you think, he began, you could tell me what is happening at your house right now? Mm -hmm. And page 288. And then there's just a cute little sweet line. She watched Gansey switch gears and glance at his rearview mirror and then at her. It's just very subtle. Mm -hmm. And it shows... I don't know. A connection. Shows a connection. He told her about everything except for Adam. It was like describing a circle without ever saying the word. This would have been extremely difficult, as tied as Adam was to so many important parts of what Mm -hmm. Gansey is talking about. Again, it's just an instance where they understand what the other needs and does their best to provide it. Mm -hmm. Okay, she said finally. You can talk about him now. And I wonder how much of this is her actually being comfortable and ready to talk about it and how much of it is her realizing how much he needs to talk about it. I wrote, she has calmed enough, but you make a good point. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jane, he said suddenly, if you'd have been there when we got the call about him walking on the interstate, you would have... He holds out so long without talking about it, but this is evidence of how worried he's been. He gets the okay and immediately just starts... Yeah, he needs to talk Mm -hmm. about it. And then he stops mid-sentence and is like, ha, Adam's communing with trees and Noah keeps reenacting being murdered and Ronan's wrecking and then making me new cars. Mm -hmm. What's new with you? Something terrible, I trust. (laughs) Oh, Gansey, it's okay to need to talk about stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, though I appreciate you trying not to burden Blue, who has her own problems right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know me, Blue said, ever sensible. She is in some ways. Fanciful but sensible, like a platypus. (laughs) Like myself, Gansey agreed grandly, and then she laughed delightedly. A creature of simple delights. They're joking, but it's kind of true. Yeah, I'm not sure that the search for magic could be considered simple, but... (laughs) Blue can admit to Gansey that she feels terrible for what she said to Adam, but not to Adam himself. Mm -hmm. Adam has killed himself for Aglimby, he said suddenly. And for what? Education? 
It's like, good grief, Gansy. You're never going to understand, are you? Jesus wept. (laughs) Blue counters with prestige, opportunity. Mm -hmm. She gets the item once and is working his ass off for the chances Gansy was born with. Yes, this, exactly. Mm -hmm. But maybe he never had a chance. Maybe success is in your genes. Oh my god, Gansy, I 100% agree with Blues. This is not a conversation I want to be having right now. Mm -hmm. She shows remarkable self-restraint by not punching him. Absolutely. (laughs) Also, she mentally hits the nail on the head. This is Adam's something more. Mm -hmm. I meant that I'm rich. Not helping. Most definitely not helping. Nope, again, steamed face. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm rich in support. So are you. You grew up loved, didn't you? Okay, so maybe Gansy partly gets it. The support thing is so important. But then Mm -hmm. again, all pairs in this series are at least questionable. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd say letting a 13-year-old go off on his own to explore the world, being support. Mm -hmm. Sure, financially, but he's been emotionally neglected and repressed after a traumatic event. Uh Uh-huh. And he says even Ronan grew up with that, too, back when it mattered, with the age of reason or whatever. I don't know that Ronin has reached the age of reason yet. (laughs) (laughs) I used to think before I met you that it was about the money. Like, I thought Adam's family was too poor for love. Blue blows up at him here, and I agree with her for being upset at how he's wording this. Because he's partly right. When parents aren't struggling to keep themselves and their children alive, they have the mental space to be better parents. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought it was about trying so hard to survive that you didn't have time to be a good parent. Mm. Blue says that being wealthy in love is not going to get her into community college. Gansy can't hide his disdain. I mean, her reaction is more, oh my god, you can't afford community college unless community college is gross. But still, F you, Gansy. Seriously, surely you can get scholarships. Oh, God, Gansy, shut up. Uh (laughs) Blue has every right to be mad here. I am so behind her in her outburst. Either I'm an idiot or I'm not, Gansy. Make up your mind. So true. And coming from such a place of privilege, Mm -hmm. I understand wanting to give advice and options, but Gansy is making assumptions that she doesn't even have the ability to plan her own future. Stop being an ass. Yep. (laughs) And after Gansy's foot and mouth, he says, please don't be angry. And Blue says that she's sorry. This is where they work. Their relationship is built on talking and good communication. And Adam and Ronan's relationship is built on taking action. Yep. They drive in silence for a while, but the conversation eventually starts up again, focused on Adam. Gansy asks, who has he ever had to love him? Ever. Um... Gansy, what about you and Blue and Ronan? And me! Yeah, and me too, but, you know, they don't, fictional characters don't know we exist. What do you mean? (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) This makes me want to cry, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so sad. Mm -hmm. In her mind, Adam pressed that fist against her bedroom wall so gently, though every muscle was knotted, wanting to destroy it. He is making such an effort, Blue. Yeah, and he is not his father. Mm -hmm. The description of the winding road and the way the sky looks at night falling across the valley reminds me of both of Home and of Starry Night, which is my favorite painting. Hmm, nice. I was trying to think of what my favorite painting would be, but (laughs) I could only come up with Da Vinci sketches. Huh. Yeah. That counts. Yeah. It was a sort of ferocious, quiet beauty, the sort that wouldn't let you admire it, the sort of beauty that just always hurt. Mm -hmm. 
He pressed his thumb against his lower lip. This was Gansey, that gesture, and then he swallowed. It was, she thought, just as she felt when she looked at the stars, when she walked in Caveswater. Home, something more. Again, implications of home and where she belongs, with her description there. Her people in Caveswater and her dreams of the stars, mm-hmm. you're right. Blue asks him what he's thinking, which is, again, a defining characteristic of their relationship. Also, it's beat one because Gansey mirrors it later. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand how I could have been in so many places, and yet this is the only place that feels like home. This is the only place I belong. And because I'm trying to understand how, if I belong here, it hurts so much, Blue finished. Mm-hmm. This whole section is just ridiculously romantic, but I can't quote the whole page, so I just chose this part, which I think is my favorite. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why, she thought, agonized, couldn't it have been Adam? He's going to die, Blue, don't. Then she gets very angry at her feelings, which is very Mm Ronan-like. Jane, in this light, he started, I've got to get my head straight. (laughs) Sorry, I'm like reading it super (laughs) melodramatically. This is totally melodramatic. He suddenly threw open the door and got out, seizing the roof to pull himself out faster. Like earlier at the substance party, Gansey threw open his door. Gripping the roof of the car, he slid himself out. Even that gesture, Ronan noted, was wild Gansey, Gansey on fire. Like he pulled himself from the car because ordinary climbing out was too slow. Page 211. And what did we say was probably what got him to Uh Gansey on fire. (laughs) That conversation with Blue. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She felt like one of the night birds had gotten inside her. It tumbled and fumbled every time she breathed. This makes me think of a bird in a hollow tree. It wasn't like when she was with Adam. She didn't have to guess what to do with her hands. They knew. This was what it should have felt like with Adam. Less play acting and more like a foregone conclusion. I'm going to start crying again. I was like, yeah, I started bawling. (laughs) (sighs) Do you need a hug? Oh, no, it's okay. (sighs) Gansey lifted her hand gently from his skin. He put it to his mouth. Reminds me of Unguibus at Rostro, Adam said. Ronan put Adam's fingers to his mouth. Mm-hmm. 281 of the Raven King. Blue's mind blanks out and she can't even speak, but Gansey knows what she's thinking anyway. Mm-hmm. I know, he said, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Her skin burned with the memory of his mouth. The thrashing bird of her heart shivered and shivered again. Jesus fuck, this should not be as sexy as it is. <laughs> still underage well (laughs) i'm not sure the point of the story at this point but gansey tells blue about how adam didn't want him to go and talk to her and then beat two Mm -hmm. gansey asked blue what she's thinking that i went out with the wrong boy nah it was a learning experience Mm -hmm. that i destroyed adam for no reason at all adam isn't destroyed and you did nothing wrong by ending a relationship that wasn't working Mm -hmm. that i'm not sensible at all but the whole reason you wanted to try going out with adam was because he was the sensible choice Mm -hmm. but what she actually says is i thought you were an asshole it's like he was still is sometimes (laughs) i hate to give gansey too much credit but he's not always an asshole just really 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 oblivious to his privilege yep which is why i said he was at that point and still is sometimes yeah he says (laughs) thank god for past tense which is actually pretty hilarious yep the two of them decide they can't do this to adam where was this thought over the last few weeks when you two were flirting not even really behind his back Ugh. 
like a head desk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She rightly states that she's not a thing to have, but there's still a part of me that thinks she put herself in the middle here. Mm -hmm. She's been telling herself for the past 50 chapters that she's choosing Adam out of spite for fate, not because she liked him. Mm -hmm. And Gansey says, I wish you could be kissed, Jane, because I would beg just one off of you. Under all this, he flailed an arm towards the stars, and then we would never say anything about it again. But she thinks, I want something more. Yet she says, we can pretend just once, and then we'll never say anything about it again. Who was this blue? She felt bigger than her body, high as the stars. Again, he's her home, her something more. Mm-hmm. From when Blue becomes tree-shaped in The Raven King, cool damp at her feet. No, her roots. Stars pressing down above her so close that they could surely be reachable if she only grew a few more inches. A warm, vital skin of bark. This was the shape of her soul. This is what she had been missing. This was how she felt in her human skin, tree-shaped feelings in a human body. What a slow, stretching joy. Mm. It was meant in memories, and the past and the future, and she felt as if she'd done this before, and already she longed to do it again. Mm-hmm. Oh, help, she thought. Help, help, help. He pulled away, and now we never speak of it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Let us know how that works out for you, buddy. <laughs> All right. Chapter 52. It's a Ronin Blue Gray Man POV. Mm-hmm. It's all about family conversations in this chapter. Ronan dreams a conversation with his dad about the will. Blue has a conversation with Mora about general sadness. And the Gray Man has a conversation with Green Mantle that ends with threats of Green Mantle telling the Gray Man's brother where the Gray Man is. All right. <laughs> For some reason, I thought that this was Sunday night, but it's quite possibly Monday night. Just a time thing. Mm -hmm. And we have another sort of triptych here where each character is in a very intimate space and they all three get visitors of some kind. Yep. We start with Ronan in his room in Monmouth. Ronan grabs one of Kavinsky's pills from his pocket and reaches out a hand to Chainsaw and she ignores him. She had stolen a cheese cracker and now is very busily stacking things on top of it to make sure Ronan would never take Take it back. Mm -hmm. Do you think she's mad at him for the way he's been stealing from his dreams? Or is she just being a Corvid? 100% just being a Corvid. (laughs) I've seen an absolutely adorable video of a raven hiding food under a bush. And I will have to post it because it is exactly this behavior. (laughs) She didn't generally enjoy petting. But she turned her head left and right as Ronan softly traced the small feathers on either side of her beak. It's Iola. It is definitely your your kitty. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How much energy had it taken from the ley line to create her? He wondered. Was it more to take out a person, a car? All good questions. Mm -hmm. Kay sends what is either a weirdly flirtatious text or a your mama joke. It's both. Yeah. Ordinarily, seeing Kavinsky's name light up his phone gave him a strange sense of urgency, but not tonight. The spell is broken. Mm-hmm. Kavinsky texts Ronan, ask me what my first dream was. And you know, I, I kind of would like to know. Mm-hmm. Kavinsky is dangling the bait of intimacy to Ronan here. Mm-hmm. It would be sweet and sad if it wasn't so friggin' creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Still, a part of me thinks that Kay probably really does want to have these types of conversations with someone who can understand them. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that he finds it any easier to talk about this secret than Ronan does. Right. 
Chainsaw pecked irritably at the buzzing phone. She had learned a lot from Ronan. Adorbs. He wouldn't take anything from his dreams tonight, not knowing what they were doing to the ley line, but that didn't mean he couldn't choose what to dream of. Ronan being sensible? Yeah, remember, he's been through a life-altering experience just as much as Adam has. Mm-hmm. And then Kaminsky texts Ronan again, My favorite forgery is Prokopenko. Good God, that's creepy. On so, so many levels, because extrapolate this. If there's a field where there are a hundred white Mitsubishis, all slightly less than perfect, is there a place in that same field where there are a hundred slightly imperfect Prokopenkos? Yeah. <laughs> And then extrapolate farther, what exactly could have happened to Proko that would have caused Kay to think that he had to dream a replacement? Earlier mm. in the book, it didn't seem like they were originally very close friends from Ronan's perspective. He describes it as, The latter had always been friendly with Kavinsky in the sort of way that an electron was friendly with a nucleus, but lately he seemed to have acquired official crony status. Mm-hmm. That's page 26. And from that post we talked about last episode, Maggie said, Kavinsky has at least one dead companion who he has dreamed a perfectly obedient replacement for. It is heavily implied that Kavinsky was somehow responsible for the guy's death. Yeah, that's that's what I was I've been wondering. Too. Yeah. Ronan thinks, as he's laying down, sleep didn't feel like a weapon tucked inside his brain. I wonder if this is because he's drained himself. Mm -hmm. He thinks of dreaming of the barns, but he didn't want to dream of something that existed in this world. So he dreams of his dad. When his dad doesn't exist in this world. (laughs) Yeah. Kavinsky texts again, I'm going to eat you alive, man. It's echoes of the dream where Kavinsky swallowed Ronan as a wafer. Mm -hmm. Then Ronan puts the pill away and holds the thought of his father in his brain, closing his eyes and then opening them again on the trees. The sky was black and star full overhead. Everything smelled of hickory smoke and boxwood, grass seed and lemon cleaner. How he used... Yeah, Yeah, it smells like the barns. On Tumblr, Anonymous asked, Hi Maggie, I've been going through your Tumblr and I found an ask from July where you said your favorite thing you've ever written was from the dream. Thieves, and I was wondering what scene you were referring to. I can only think of the kiss, but it feels like that doesn't fit all of the requirements. Mm-hmm. And Maggie said, Oh, it's a Ronan Nile moment. Mm-hmm. Ronan sees Nile sitting in the charcoal BMW he had dreamt all those years ago. It's textual confirmation of the BMW being dreamed. Mm-hmm. He was an image of Ronan, and also of Declan, and also of Matthew. Mm-hmm. A handsome devil with one eye the color of a promise, and the other the color of a secret. Mm-hmm. And Ronan loves him so much. And that is such a good description, too. Mm-hmm. Ronan, he said. It sounded like he meant to say, finally. Well, maybe if you taught him, Niall. No shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was going to say, I missed you. But he'd been missing Niall Edge for as long as he knew him. Poor Ronan. Yeah, a slim crack in Ronan's hero worship of Niall. Mm-hmm. There are another three gifts listed in this chapter. The first, a grin cracked over his father's face. He had the widest smile in the world, and he, Ronan, actually, had given it to his youngest son. This is Matthew's gift. Mm-hmm. A soaring bit of tune played by the alien pipes dissipating into the trees. 
And this description feels so both of them. Mm-hmm. And the Ilian pipes are the characteristic national bagpipe of Ireland. They were earlier known in English as union pipes. Their current name is a partial translation of the Irish language term for pipes of the elbow from their method of inflation. Maggie started playing these after a car accident wrecked her teeth and jaw in college. Mm. She used to play the bagpipes, which you actually have to blow into. Uh. It's a loophole, his father said. A loophole for thieves. But Vernon is the Grey Warren, not a thief. Then again, the loophole is protect Niall, not Vernon or his brothers. This is where the whole thing breaks down for me. Because this dream version of Niall Lynch is telling Ronan that the phrase in the language of the Tyria Lentes is a loophole that he specifically placed into the will as a puzzle that Ronan would figure out when he was a good enough dreamer to dream a puzzle box that Ronan never would have known that he needed to translate the phrase that he didn't even know was in the language of the Tyria Lentes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even if this projection of Niall is just a piece of Ronan's subconscious, I still don't know how he would have figured out that he needed to figure something out uh-huh. <laughs> and how he could have created a tool to help him figure out the thing that he didn't know he needed to figure out yeah th- this makes no sense <laughs> it makes no sense <laughs> so niall says it's a loophole for thieves yeah Brandon says is that a lie and niall says i'll never lie to you and i'm like yeah right yeah <laughs> but ronan thinks niall lynch was the biggest liar of them all and he stuffed all that into his eldest son this was Declan's gift. So number two of three gifts. Mm-hmm. There was not much different between a lie and a secret or a story. Mm-hmm. Plus a secret is revealed. Take a drink. Woo-hoo. All right. What a creature he was. And also Ronan is referred to as a magnificent creature. Mm-hmm. He had dreamt himself an entire life in death. This is accurate. Mm-hmm. Ronan said, I want to go back, meaning the barns. Then take it, said his father. You know how now. No thanks to you. Exactly. Because Niall Lynch was a forest fire, a rising sea, a car crash, a closing curtain, a blistering symphony, a catalyst with planets inside him. And he had given all that to his middle son. This is Ronan's gift. Mm-hmm. Ronan, he said, and it sounded like he meant to say, wake up. Mm-hmm. A sleeper on the ley line. Mm-hmm. And we flip to Blue in her room after Gansey has dropped her off. Her mind was full of Adam's dull expression, Ronan's invented Camaro, and Gansey's breath on her cheek. And that's a pretty succinct description of what's going on in the book right now. Mm-hmm. Blue thinks about seeing Gansey's spirit in the churchyard. She couldn't make it untrue. She's been trying desperately to fight with fate mm-hmm. through the whole series so mm-hmm. far. There's an argument going on downstairs. Kella yells that she will break that damn thing myself if I find you using it again. Mora calls Kala a tyrant and Persephone murmurs amiably. And this is obviously about the scrying Mora is doing, but what is Kala threatening to break? The scrying bowl? What good would that do? Mora didn't mess with the mirrors, did she? I'm guessing the scrying bowl, since that's what Blue finds in the attic looking like it was recently used. Mm-hmm. There was a deep black bowl sitting on the floor beside them. Neve's scrying bowl. The base was slicked with the memory of recent liquid, even though Neve hadn't been in this room for more than a month. Mm-hmm. Blue wasn't sure who else would use it. Mm-hmm. It's page 88. A few amorphous minutes later, Mora knocked the pads of her fingers on Blue's open door. Sleeping? Always, Blue replied. <laughs> Lol, even when she is, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Like, they're gonna come in anyway. Yeah. 
Then she lay down beside Blue, mother and daughter like spoons in a drawer. Blue closed her eyes again, inhaling the soft clove scent of her mother and the fading mint of Gansey. And that sounds really present, actually. Mm-hmm. Ronan got a visit from his father, and now Blue is getting a visit from her mom. Mm-hmm. And this one, I have to admit, I find way more heartwarming than the last. Absolutely. After a moment, Mora asked, are you crying? Only a little. Moms, man. Mm-hmm. I can't describe how tender this makes me. Yeah. Blue admits to generalized sadness about something that hasn't happened yet. Mora gives her an ah, oh, Blue. That mm-hmm. just seems like the perfect way to say she understands. Mm-hmm. Blue then thinks about Adam, still collapsed on their sofa downstairs. Poor kid. Mm-hmm. If he had no one to wrap their arms around him when he was sad, could he be forgiven for letting his anger lead him? It's like he's trying so hard, Blue, and making so much progress, and that's what he should be given credit for. Agreed. Like we talked about last episode, it's not so much what your background is, but what you do with that background and the steps that you take away from that background. Mm-hmm. Then the whole last bit of the conversation is repeated, this time with Blue asking, are you crying? And Maura saying, only a little. Then she inhales, snottily and unbecomingly. <laughs> I adore the mirrors in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Maura then admits that she's also feeling generalized sadness because of something that happened not yet a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Blue argues that those are opposite, and Maura says, not really. See last episode, circular chicken. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Blue wipes her eyes on her pillowcase, then tells her mother that tears don't become us. Mora wipes her nose on Blue's nightshirt uh-huh. and agrees, then asks Blue what does become them, and Blue replies, action. I cannot for the life of me remember the term in musical theater for the big group ensemble number right before climax, like the rally of the troops, everyone has a part to sing, sometimes it cuts in with the villain song. Mm-hmm. But this whole chapter feels very yeah. much like that. How terrible would it be, Blue thought, her mind on Adam again, to not have a mother who loved you. Pretty terrible. So, so terrible. (laughs) Yes, Maura replied. How wise you are, Blue. Is she talking about the action comment, or did she read Blue's mind? Quite possibly both, though considering the laugh that she gives, I would guess the former. Mm -hmm. We switch to the gray man in his room reading a book of Anglo-Saxon riddles and watching TV. Mm -hmm. So Green Mantle calls, and here we see the gray man's quote-unquote real name, Dean Allen. Mm -hmm. What an awful feeling to know that this person holding an intimate part of your life is capable of terrible things. And I wonder what spy movie he's watching with the meeting on the bridge to exchange hostages. All of them? (laughs) Yeah, basically, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) They'd been told to come alone. They hadn't come alone. (laughs) (laughs) Because you never come alone. No, of course not. The gray man actually has trouble parsing Green Mantle saying his name. Mm -hmm. Green Mantle says the creepiest thing. And you know how well I do with undergrads. (laughs) Um... That's... Yeah. What am I supposed to take from that statement? I do not understand, and I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. The gray man hadn't been Dean Allen in a very long time. The gray man wanted to be no one. Nowhere. Ugh. Depression is the pits. Mm Mm-hmm. As the gray man is talking to Green Mantle, a part of his mind is going back to his Anglo-Saxon riddles, one about a weapon. Unstrung, I obey no man, only when skillfully tied. A bow? A bow. It's similar to a phrase that Ronan uses, the one from Latin, the killer is not. Ah, right. 
We've talked about the Exeter book when we talked about Anglo-Saxons. This is where the riddle the gray man is reading is found. If people want to go and look at them, there are many, many riddles. Greenmantle rightly guesses that because the gray man isn't changing his story, that means you know where it is, but you don't have it yet. Dean Allen wasn't supposed to exist. There was a reason he'd given it up. Greenmantle tells the gray man to get the gray warren and call me by the 4th of July with your flight confirmation number back here, or I tell your brother where you are. Ouch. Yeah. You could consider the call from Greenmantle to be Mr. Gray's visitor, but here I feel like it's actually the specter of his brother to keep in the familial theme. Mm -hmm. Hold still, Dean. It's just a standalone phrase. To me, this is his brother talking. Mm -hmm. One could think that it's Mr. Gray talking to himself, sort of telling himself to be brave, to hold still, but it's likely a phrase that his brother said when he was torturing Dean. Yeah. It feels so distinctly like a PTSD flashback. Absolutely. The Gray Man says, I told you about him in confidence. Why would you ever? Yeah, why? You're smarter than that. Mm -hmm. And his brother apparently told Greenmantle, he lost touch with you in the middle of a conversation he's been wanting to finish. Creepy AF. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the gray man turned off the television, but voices still hummed in the background. Voices parallel with Adam or again, flashbacks running through his brain. Mm-hmm. And from here, the gray man doesn't say a single thing out loud to Greenmantle for the rest of the conversation. Green Mantle asks if he's still there, and there's a first beat of no, not really. Mm-hmm. Then color was draining from the walls. It's colorless, like the gray days that the gray man took his persona from. Mm-hmm. Green Mantle asks if they have an agreement, and the second beat of no, not really. Mm-hmm. A weapon didn't come to an agreement with the hand it held. And it depends on who you ask. <laughs> Just in the lines of, like, there has to be an agreement for it to work correctly. Gotcha. <laughs> Two days is plenty of time, Dean. It's two days until the 4th of July. Yep. All right, last chapter. Okay, so chapter 53 is a floating third-person omniscient point of view. Some of the troops gather, some of the troops scatter, but in Henrietta, it seems to be the calm before the storm. Mm -hmm. The POV on this one is very interesting. I know we say such and such chapter is so-and-so's POV, but really, as we've said before, that's just the lens that the chapter is being seen through. But here we see a couple of POVs melded all into one, particularly Mora and Ronan. Mm -hmm. And I believe that this would be Tuesday the 3rd of July. We have many ticking down increments of time in this chapter. Mm -hmm. And I find it interesting that the Gray Man and Adam both sleep for 21 hours. It's a very clear parallel between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Fireworks were bought and dripped, doors were locked and later busted open. And do we ever see, like, who it is that's actually, like, doing all these break-ins? See? I mean, there are still people in town looking for the Grey Warren. Right. Yeah. I guess we just don't get, like, a, okay, well, this is, who else is looking for the Grey Warren? Well, we have the two guys in the car that follow the Grey Man at the very end of the book that he meets at the gas station. Oh, yeah. So we know for a fact that there are at least some people still in Henrietta that are after the Grey Warren and or... The Gray Man. Mm-hmm. So at 300 Fox Way, Adam quietly turned 18. Well, he said, I think you'll find I do pretty much everything quiet. Chapter mm-hmm. 21 of The Raven Boys. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm sorry your 18th birthday was so awful, Adam. Yeah. Hopefully he'll get good ones later. Mm-hmm. So someone broke into Kala's office. Who? Why? Where? <laughs> Where? 
upstairs, her office. <sighs> and one of Kavinsky's dreamed Evos shows up in Monmouth's parking lot. Mm-hmm. This one's for you, just the way you like it, fast and anonymous. Another sex joke, kind of leaning heavily and sadly on that booty call feeling from before. Mm-hmm. Kavinsky's handwriting is described as disordered. Unfortunately, another clear example of how the handwriting reflects the personality of the character. Uh-huh. Candy says he thinks Kay needs to come to terms with his sexuality. Ronan, who is the one who actually needs to do this, jokes that there is no coming to terms with having three balls. <laughs> what the hell, Ronan? That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, well, I mean, no, yes and no. It, it does make sense in one way because Gansey is making what could be a very judgmental statement and mm. Ronan is deflecting it with inappropriate humor. It's like he doesn't want to make Kay's sexuality the actual butt of the joke, so he twists it in another direction. Okay. He wonders to himself later if Kavinsky really could be gay. So he's so oblivious. He doesn't even know that Kavinsky's gay. (laughs) This is actually a question he asks himself later. Ronan is chewing at his leather bracelets, which is a habit much like Gansey's thumb to his lower lip that shows up when he's thinking, nervous, or worried. So some part of this really unsettles him. Mm -hmm. When Adam finally wakes up, he's all business. He's up and out the door in 10 minutes flat. No, the 10 minutes. mm -hmm. I wish he could take hospitality and help. Yeah. I didn't read it like he couldn't take hospitality and help. Because to me, it felt like he was still trapped in almost a fugue state, like he was being driven to help Caves Water now that he's conscious of how it's communicating with him. And 15 minutes after that, Persephone comes down to follow Adam in a taxi. Mm -hmm. Persephone's butterfly-shaped handbag and sensible boots with (laughs) three-inch heels. Yeah, I love that too. (laughs) And laces up to the thigh. It sounds adorable, and I want it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would kill myself on three-inch heels, and thigh highs never fit my calves. Yeah. I love that Persephone has a butterfly bag, because to me, the symbolism of the butterfly is one of transformation. Mm -hmm. And this is also the same outfit she was wearing when Maura met her on the side of the road. Oh, yeah. She was walking directly up the middle of the asphalt toward them, gripping an overstuffed butterfly-shaped bag in one hand. She had high, old-fashioned boots laced all the way up beyond where her peculiar dress ended. Her hair was a blonde, frothy cloud, and her skin was chalky. Page 117, I think, of The Raven King, actually. Mm-hmm. Twelve minutes after that, Kavinsky texted Ronan, asking him to the 4th of July party. Mm-hmm. Kavinsky is still texting Ronan. Mm-hmm. Ronan asks if Kavinsky would stop if he knew it was destroying the world. Kavinsky replies, God, that would be awesome. Wow, I guess some guys really do just want to watch the world burn. A part of me feels this so hard, <laughs> though. <laughs> and Ronan says he wouldn't bet on negotiations. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, well, you kind of weren't planning on that from the start. But then I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> he was the one who suggested negotiations. Mm-hmm. Seven minutes after that, the 300 Foxway ladies still left, head over to pick up Ronan and Gansey. Gansey looked like a king, even sitting in the shabby back seat of the shared Foxway vehicle. I can see that. Mm-hmm. He asked, what is it we're doing? Maura replied, action. Nice callback to her conversation with Blue. Also an interesting word to end a chapter on. Mm-hmm. Also, also, what Adam was trying to prompt from Gansey all along. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that does it. <laughs> yeah. MVC? Oh, this was so hard, but I think I've got one. Okay. Do you have one? I do. Adam. Persephone. Oh, I 
was having a hard I was having such a hard time deciding between the two of them. I know. I actually went back and forth too. <laughs> do we Rochambeau between Adam and Persephone? <laughs> oh my goodness, we haven't had to do that in a long time. Oh, sure we could. I'm probably like, give it to both of them, but no, we can't yeah. do that. Let's do it. Ready? Okay, all right. Shoot. Ah, Persephone. <laughs> Yay, for Yay. <laughs> it's like I'm totally okay with either of them getting it yeah. because like I was eh. I went back and forth too, but <laughs> I I love Persephone and the mentor. Alright, so. yeah. Alright, well, there we go. Maggie Watch. <laughs> I read YA on Twitter, which is the Scholastic Young Adult Division's marketing, mm-hmm. is hosting a Raven Cycle recap contest in preparation for the release of Call Down the Hawk. So we've already posted the rules on our Tumblr, but the gist of it is this. Your challenge, describe everything that has happened from the Raven Boys to the Raven King in a one-minute video or 200 words or fewer. You can be as creative as you like. It could be a song, a poem, a video of you describing the plot, anything. As long as it stays under one minute or 200 words, and then you make sure to use the hashtags Raven Recap, Call Down the Hawk, and Contest. Note, you can only enter via Instagram and Twitter. Okay. So the contest runs from August 2nd to September 1st, and then Maggie will choose the three winners. And the winners will win an exclusive box set of The Raven Cycle, which is interesting because a box set was never released. Mm Mm-hmm. And Maggie and I Read YA will share the video and such, I'm guessing, on their social platforms. So if you want to enter that, do. Woohoo. All right, that's it. And then supporter shout outs. We want to give a shout out to our patrons. Yes. Thank you all so much. It's overwhelming because we didn't know what to expect. And you guys fulfilled all of those expectations and way more. So mm-hmm. thank you very, very, very much to our patrons. Mimi. Andrea. Or Andrea. I don't know which way you pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, I said that too. Jamie. Nancy. Chelsea. Lynn. Dee the Shadow. Amanda. Tiffany. Louise. Alina. Bella. And Hannah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you so much. And then a couple of reviews that we've gotten recently. Miriam Y. A really enjoyable Raven Cycle podcast. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. (laughs) Right now, I'm reading, listening, reading, etc. And I love thinking about the twists and connections the hosts bring up. Thank you so much. That is awesome. And then (laughs) Herkorimafuj. H-K-R-H-M-F-W-J. <laughs> Said 20 out of 10, which is really sweet. Mm-hmm. If you love The Raven Cycle, you will love this podcast. It is very well thought out and gives more in-depth view of The Raven Cycle that you might not have seen before. Also points out a lot of little things and just is overall a great podcast. I don't like podcasts, but I love this one. Aww. Which is probably the highest possible compliment. So thank you very much. And we need to stop before I start crying. Okay. (laughs) But yes, thank you to every single listener. Even if your name's not read out. Thank you so much. We appreciate every single one of you. Absolutely. Okay. And with that. Time to wrap up. 
Thank you for joining us today. Our next episode will cover chapters 54 through 60 of The Dream Thieves with a deep dive on transformative journeys through the underworld, including the myth of Persephone. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like an extension of the deep dive we did this time. Right. Follow us online for announcements of what chapters we might be covering next. Send us your thoughts, especially for our season two, two-year anniversary wrap-up episode. Two years. Yeah, two years. Two books, two years. Yeah. So exciting. And we would love to have your contributions and just send them our way. We absolutely love to hear from you. Yay. You can find us practically everywhere on social media at R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S, Raven Girls. On Twitter at Raven Girls, on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls, and reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com. And don't forget, our Patreon and Coffee are both at ravengirls. Yes. You can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or at Gmail, Substance Party with all of the A's taken out, S U B S T N C E P R T Y at gmail.com. If we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Stiefvater and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And until next time, whoop whoop Raven Girls! I still love it. You still hate it. Oh, God. She felt like one of the night birds had gotten inside her. It tumbled and bumbled every time she breathed. This makes me think of a bird in a hollow tree. A pygmy powder. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Oh, Oh, gosh, you're so silly. (laughs) That was a good one, though. (laughs)